Avi, we're going to kick it off. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about your background, maybe uh, your beginnings in education, and um, we'd love to learn more. All right. I mean, <laughs> it's never really been that uh, my experiences in education had a had this one turning point. It had, I think, several instances, several learnings, which maybe even at that point of time, I didn't realize. And then only after uh, a couple of years later, um, when I could compare it with something else, I, I could actually understand that what's going on, you know? And so, I mean, I'm from a middle-class family in Bombay um, and grew up in the same city from, you know, zero to 18 years, studied in the one school. And incidentally, what happened was that this school was a government-aided school. So in a sense, what we had to do was pay five rupees per month as fees for fifth grade, six rupees for sixth grade, and so on. You know, it was completely cheap, it, um, less than a dollar basically per month. At the same time, the teachers in this school were somehow, most of them were quite amazing. In fact, they were in, in that specific geography, a lot of people, a lot of couples were returning back from US and many of them had studied in in really good, you know, in Cambridge and Oxford. They were coming back and settling back in, in town. And uh, the uh, many of the wives were taking teaching roles inside the inside the school, and so we had uh, this interesting combination of really low fees and really good teachers, which mm. you'd almost think that they did not deserve. But we had that, and um, and growing up, my experience with school education, uh, for most part, was was very open ended. It was never this idea that you know. Uh, that let's just finish the curriculum or let's just give exams or even for for some of the teachers they would not be that interested even in giving answers they were more interested in in having discussions and debates uh, that's just how life was for me um, all the way until i finished school and never had much complaints i mean yeah we didn't have a playground we we were basically just a single building and and everything was uh, you know pretty restricted but they compensated that with allowing us to do a lot of things outside of school. So I think 40% of my school time I was spending outside in, in competitions and, uh, you know, I don't know, presentations and lots of lots of outside of school engagements. And so it never felt like there was not enough. After I finished school, I um, got into university, which was uh, in a different city. And there was this huge private university. Of course, my parents had to spend far more than they had ever spent uh, in all of my school life put together. I, I was interested in computer science. I think engineering for me was always something that I wanted to do. And I got into the computer science department and, uh, you know, another um, 400 people, I think 400, 450 people joined the same department and then many thousands others in the other departments. And so it was a huge place. I go in thinking that, all right, this is the moment, you know, this is when I, I actually get to do stuff because all the engineering I did before this was basically experimenting with stuff at my home when my parents are sleeping, you know, burning old medicines to see what color flames come out of that and playing with kitchen utensils and, uh, uh, you know, making bulbs and stuff like that. So I was doing all that and, and this was my first real shot at engineering and I really wanted to do like big stuff. The moment I get there, I, I realized that the uh, the idea that they have about what I should be doing in, in college was completely different. They wanted me to attend lectures, listen quietly. You know, this was told to me verbatim in, in my first year that you are just in your first year you don't have to go out of your room after 8 p.m you know you don't have to go to the library just just sit and give exams and get marks nobody even had an expectation that you could do something more than that mm. uh, the, the ultimate expectation they had was all right get into uh, get a get a job at the end of this when those big recruiters come and recruit by the masses make your share make, make sure that you are you know a number in the statistic as well while i had no big need of getting a job at the end of my university term my parents are are fine they, they, nobody needed any help i had no loans on me so i didn't really need a job after university but they they kept drilling this in our heads that year after year and so by the time you get to the the pre-final or final years you start really thinking that yeah you you have to get a job, whatever it is, it doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. right? just, just get whatever you can get through and, and get a job. And uh, meanwhile, I mean, also the, the, just the culture of things in the university were really regressive. I mean, uh, until people started pointing it out, 
uh, even I couldn't see it. Uh, but some things I noticed, like you couldn't really question all that much. You can't ask things that you know were out of syllabus or out of the curriculum. You couldn't you couldn't point out mistakes if a teacher made one. Several several things that got me punished many times, and and um, and you get punished. I mean, it was also very strange that uh, for asking questions, you you are asked to shut up. And so yeah, by the time I I was in my fourth year, I I had lost all you know ambition of doing amazing things with engineering and I, all I wanted was to get a job and uh, of course I did get a job and that's um, that's how I came to to Bangalore when I when I actually came here that's just at the same time so I, I, I left university six months early because my job also offered a six month internship so mm. uh, I came down uh, and started living um, in uh, in the city and at the same time, this guy from uh, MIT had come to my university and he started a lab over there, hmm. which um, my then girlfriend was was attending. And I, she told me about it. She's like, you have to meet this guy. And I'm like, okay, but what's such a big deal? He's like, he, he really wants to do stuff. And I'm like, cool. So I, I took the weekend and, and, and went back to university and I meet him, not in the college, but actually at a bar. <laughs> and uh, this was my first, again, very first uh, experience of sitting with a professor in a bar because that never happened in college. That was just not the relationship we had with anyone. And and here he is talking about doing very real things. He's talking about uh, this project he's working on in Uganda. He's talking about the uh, this thing is this project he's working on with my girlfriend to make, uh, you know, stuff for um, uh, an accessibility device for blind people and several, several things. And like I was completely mind blown. <laughs> you can actually do this. Like I thought that being a student meant to mm. not do anything, <laughs> basically mm. keep learning. And nobody ever had a problem with that. You know, none of my other friends or anybody else in the, all the students in the university never had a problem with that. So that's probably, you could say one of the, the initial things that started making me um, see a comparison between What's the difference between a, a very open culture of learning, where learning is not just for the sake of it, but mm. but in order to do something, um, and uh, as opposed to what I was going through in in university, where it, 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 doing something was not even an expectation. So that's where we started. <laughs> I uh, I have some follow-up questions, and thank you for walking us through. That was such a nice journey from your early stages in education. Um, your experience, having such great teachers at such a young age, I mean, I'm sure you had certain role models, mentors, uh, even family members that you'd look up to that made you say, I want to be just like them. And maybe that person was this MIT professor uh, at the later stages of your educational experience, or maybe that was someone earlier. Do, do you is Does someone come to mind when I ask that question? Several people. Well, I think the three most important people who have been role models for me were uh, at that point of time, uh, well, the first was my dad because this love for engineering actually came from him. He he also, uh, well, he's a um, a mechanical engineer. So, uh, but our conversations used to be around engineering right from the time I was like I think three years old, and so that and I for for I think the first six seven grades of of my school I I was very much at the back end of my studies because I I never really took much interest in in school level education uh, or or the what was being taught there um, and then my dad somehow got me interested in um, actually the you know the stuff that is being taught but not uh, interested just because it's being taught but why it is interesting just by itself you know why the science is interesting just by itself why this history is interesting just by itself so from him I learned a lot more about you know, making my own sort of building my own thirst for knowledge and, and for understanding as opposed to just relying on an external source to, to do that for me. So, yeah, he was he was uh, superbly um, instrumental in turning around my thoughts around around knowledge. Do you? My, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I want to I want to also include Sandeep here because he's been gracious enough to have to have joined us. Sandeep, the, uh, Abby's Abby's experience in Bombay at an early age uh, and the inclusion of his father's perspective of learning for the sake of of learning and just trying to explore and test 
uh, your knowledge. That is part of the scientific process and the scientific method. Is this something that you either experienced yourself as well or something that you've seen in the students that you've worked with throughout your time in education? Yeah, uh, thank you, Jim, for bringing that up. Uh, Jim, I have grown up in a liberal arts environment. Yes, my mother did think sometimes that I should become a doctor, but that just stayed a thought, thank God. Mm. So uh, being a liberal arts person and likewise, like in Abhi's case, my father's book business is now 100 years old. So we were essentially booksellers. So def definitely that had an influence on my life that being from a family of a bookseller and then having a mother who had done a postgraduate in Sanskrit. Mm. She was a president of a college in her own leadership position while she was growing up. So I had a mother who had perhaps uh, in those early days got a postgrad. And I had a father who had just done class 10 and was a real entrepreneur. Likewise, because of their background where they wanted me to become an engineer and a doctor, but they didn't push that in. Mm. And luckily, I went to a school where I had role models who actually did a lot of learning outside the classroom and that shaped my life. One great example is a gentleman, his name is Gurdyal Singh. He planned the Indian Everest expedition. Hmm. And uh, he's known for his famous story that he walked up to Everest and when he was at the last call, he gave his oxygen cylinder to a companion whom he thought deserved more to reach the summit. Hmm. That's the kind of teacher I had. Hmm. And uh, his, his uh, encouraging me to go on outward bound journeys actually shaped me. That, that's truly amazing. And these are the kind of stories of people that are shaping the experiences of our students throughout uh, India and throughout the U.S., and we think about the challenges that we face and those challenges allow us to tap into deeper vulnerabilities. They get us discomfort. They give us discomfort and that causes us to try and learn and push ourselves. I'm, I'm wondering, Abhi, uh, you mentioned, you know, the challenge of going to university and, and feeling like you're now stuck in this pipeline of just like learning for the sake of getting a grade and hopefully getting a, a, a job. And that seemed to be incongruent with how you've learned uh, as, a, as a younger child, maybe influenced by your father and Sandeep, you're mentioning this amazing um, educator that you had the opportunity to learn from. I'm wondering maybe from both of you, and we can start with Abhi, is uh, how did you push past that initial uh, experience in university? You mentioned the MIT professor, but um, what did you see as beneficial for you, maybe your practice or your thought process as you moved forward and started to achieve your own uh, personal intrinsic level of successes? Well, I, I guess before the whole MIT thing happened, um, I wasn't able to push past it. I, I sort of gave in and uh, that's how I ended up in Bangalore with a, with a software job. Uh, which I didn't really want. But I think uh, once I started working on these projects, it was still a slow process. You know, I started working on these uh, projects. I uh, got a chance to go to Uganda and I designed an ambulance, um, uh, you know, for uh, for really low cost transport. And I started doing things that were that were more real. And while doing that, I was also working my job, right? So there was this thing that now I'm going to office for about like 10, 11 hours a day. Mm. And then I come back and I work through the night and on weekends, I go back to the lab, um, you know, take a bus for uh, for six hours and get there um, and work on that. I did that for, I think about almost a year uh, of, of being in Bangalore. And at some point it stopped making sense. It just uh, felt like I'm spending more time doing what I don't really enjoy and less time doing what I did enjoy. And the only difference was, um, was a salary. So mm. then I didn't think that much. I just, you know, it was around, yeah, it was pretty much, I think 30th December. And I walked up to my, to my boss and I uh, told him that uh, from 1st of Jan, I don't think I'll be able to come again. And you, there will be no notice period and such. <laughs> this is the end of the line. Surprisingly, he turned back and said that, oh, yeah, I expected that. <laughs> okay. So so that's how I ended that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you have to know yourself. You have to feel empowered to do that. And I also want to introduce Kath. Uh, she just joined us from 100 Roads. I'll allow her to introduce herself. She really wanted to be a part of this conversation with you today. You know, I, I just related so much to that that story um it's like sometimes when the wind changes you just can't keep sailing in the same direction you just have to move and it, it's it's almost like hitting a switch right and you just gotta go 
Um, and I really, I, I really felt that. Um, so I, I started Workspace Education, which was a place for people together or families together to create the education they wanted for their for their children, choosing from anything in the universe. So no set pedagogy, but we were there to, to support them to create the most amazing personalized pathways. And then also develop the idea of community and how we can help each other and support each other in doing that and pull from the resources of our people. So we didn't have to rely on, you know, so everyone didn't have to buy a 3D printer. Uh, okay. We didn't have to hire a 3D printer specialist. We'd pull one from the community to, to come in so we could keep it as low cost as possible. You know, I went in as uh, sort of as a mother. I sort of had to become an entrepreneur. And then I ended up being a community builder as I discovered how important community was. And and if you want that to happen, you have to be really building a weave in community. So it's been a you know, that was a four-year learning curve for how to go about that and just to really understand what the community needed and how to provide for them um, and make it better and better and better for the children. And then people would come and visit. It's a 32,000-square-foot makerspace, basically, for authentic creative self-expression. So people would walk through there and it's like, oh, I wanted to grow up in here, right? It's a little bit like Google for children. And so people started wanting to meet them in their own places. So then I started training people <laughs> we're really having discussions about how I did it and if you want to do it you'd probably want to do something like this um, or don't do that because I tried that at the beginning and it was a disaster that sort of thing and then we did it on the ground training and then after COVID we now do in the um, in the cloud training um, which is actually being great because people from all over the world have, have been jumping in and and co-learning has become a thing there's a lot of people doing it out out there and um, it's sort of like it's it's a fun place to be around other founders who really want to change and re revolutionize education like yourselves. Outstanding. Yeah. Um, it's probably too much, too much. <laughs> I said too much. No, no, just perfect. I wish uh, we had more time uh, just to continue exploring. I know, Abby, I want to, we explored your past a little bit and I want to transition to some of the things that are exciting you today. So can you talk a little bit more about um, maybe how your past experiences have now informed your present day work uh, with Project Defy? So, um, yeah, ultimately, my over these years of transitioning from college and then doing all of these projects and, and leaving the job that I had, and then I happened to move uh, to this village on the outskirts of Bangalore and just staying there without a plan. All of these things ultimately led me to think that in the that what was happening with education in my life was that, that there was a, a predefined set path and I had very limited choices. Even when I thought I had choices, even my, when my parents were not constricting me or, or doing any of that, still the, the choices were, were fairly limited. And uh, <laughs> in my naivete, I used to think that oh, it would have been so nice if I could just, you know, uh, right swipe my teachers in, in the university and just change them at, at some point if if they're not really doing that well. Or uh, So all of this ultimately um, did not lead to an idea. It just uh, made uh, pushed me to, to recreate a learning space just for myself again. So started doing some experiments in this place. I'll, I'll not get into too much detail because it takes me another half an hour to just <laughs> go through that. But um, we started playing with what happens if you didn't have a curriculum, you didn't have um, a, a program. All you had was were, were things and people interested in, in doing uh, stuff and coming up with uh, and thinking about every day what is it that they'd like to do? It resembled a lot, even in fact, we used to call it a makerspace for the longest time mm. uh, because it was all of these villagers from children, adults, older people would gather in the place and, and every morning they'd think, okay, what, what should I do today? And mm. from every morning, it started becoming a little bit long-term. All right, let's do something which is uh, for a week or, or for a month. At some point, it reached a, it reached a, it reached a level where people would just come morning, evening, even at night and they'd be able to do this by themselves. You know, they were, um, they were bringing tools and materials too. We had some, uh, we had a lot of trash and junk we were collecting from the village as well. And we didn't really need a lot. Everything was sort of freely available or, or being thrown away by others. And we were collecting that and people were using that to build their own projects or, or uh, you know, engage in one form of learning or another completely out of their own interest or, or collaboratively between a couple of people. When that started happening and it looked like a space which has these tools and materials, it has some laptops and an internet connection, uh, but more importantly, it had 
motivated people who are going to come every day and do something and they don't need to be told what to do at that point i i decided to to leave the space and and get out of that village as well and see what happens if if there is no longer me in that equation and i did that i went away for a couple of months and i uh, came back after a couple of months uh, leaving all that space and its equipment and everything to to basically the village and and uh, and no real authority or anything like that almost half expecting that the space would not be working anymore that uh, people would have stopped coming or tools would be broken laptops gone you know any number of things could happen and the the complete opposite of course happened right when i came back there were more people than before there were more projects that people were doing a lot of different things i mean i came back to see one person had made a mask out of uh wax for some reason no <laughs> nobody knows why but just they, they did it uh, they do all these crazy things and there were you know even more people than before people were coming from some nearby other villages as well to the space tools were not taken away instead people were putting more tools into the space so mm-hmm. we were we were not losing things we were gaining things and and we you know you didn't even have to ask and the best part was that all of these new people who were there they had no idea who i was they had nothing to do with who started the space and who the founder was mm-hmm. it was immaterial the space belonged to them you know just like other spaces inside the village like nobody owns the temple nobody owns the 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 little community room like yeah so this became a part of their 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 village just like any other space so i packed my bag again and i left and it still continues it was that was in 2014 when i started and and now it's about 6 years more than that and um it's going on so that was how um i think we we started that first space and then many others after that uh, what i'm hearing from from that experience in terms of like being able to scale this to other communities um is this sense of the democracy of education so that everyone feels like they have a part in it um sort of this distributive leadership where not anybody is taking on the central role of determining how someone should learn or their interest or passion in their education and then i'm also hearing these facets of asset based learning so every child has an opportunity based on their potential aptitudes or interests they can explore that and then they add things to the tools and resources that are available and it's amazing what uh, proliferates from there Are these the tenants in which like project defy operates today or are there other things that maybe I am missing here No I mean uh, these these are pretty much uh, defining factors we we thought always that you know if you want to enable choice in, in the truest sense that ultimately people have the choice in what they learn and how they learn it then they need to have complete um, uh, you know not controlled by one person over all the decision making in the place but a distributed control over everything that happens so right. not only your learning but the learning space itself should be somehow managed and controlled by them so we we decided that if you break down choice uh, there were two things that were important one was the capacity to make choice and the other was sort of the capability uh, to do it the sort of capacity i think came from um uh, from uh, having processes that allowed people to do that but the capability came from trial and error and practicing and failing and making bad decisions and and uh, you know ruining things a lot of times and it was the same thing in their learning and the same thing in the learning space because you're doing a project it does, doesn't work all right go back to scratch uh, same thing you, you make a bad decision at the space there's a problem now you try to fix it mm. so over time this is uh, you know in the in the early parts it feels ridiculous it feels like wow i know all these answers why don't i just tell them and why not you know run the best space particle possible right from the beginning but there's only one me and 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 i am an outsider how right can i be <laughs> you know how how much confidence can there be that i am absolutely right in their context so the best thing is that uh, if we are able to create these democratic processes where people may not have the best situation right at the beginning but they are discussing and talking and expressing and as long as we have this very deep faith in in the power of uh, open discussion that we feel ultimately people reach pretty much very good decisions as long as the talking is happening it's mm. when the talking stops that's when that's when uh, the mess begins and that's when um, you know uh, there's there's no possibility for growing or changing mm. so that has remained pretty much the same uh, even now we've gotten better how <coughs> we create spaces we don't need 
any more a year or a year and a half to start the space uh, we can do it in a few months but all that we are trying to do is really quickly give away all the responsibilities to others and then vanish from there um, and 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 let people play with with their learning space as much as they're playing with their learning and mm-hmm. that empowers them far more than a defined path some yeah you talked ahead. about yeah you talked about talking stopping i thought yeah. i should also talk i should not stop <laughs> <laughs> so with that spirit you know i have a very interesting hypothesis why learning fails simply because is a trust deficit now when you are telling us the story about building a relationship with people or stakeholders in your case it's almost like the stakeholder because these are all micro stakeholders who come in a quest of learning and the only way where you can actually bring about the joy of learning is where you build a bond of trust and that's exactly why i said that learning collapses where there is a trust deficit so how did you create this bond of trust so that you could actually create the environment and take the learning forward yeah i absolutely agree with that i think uh, probably because i was not an educator i was able to do that um i had no no qualifications of being a teacher i never never been a teacher or um, or never been trained in being an educator nothing like that i was approaching it from the perspective of just another student or a learner and i didn't want any of that you know um, i didn't want people to restrict me i had that all, my whole life i mean uh, i didn't want i wanted to be trusted and i wanted to make my own decisions so whether it was in creating the first space the nook or whether it was in building our organization we kept that um idea that what i don't want many others also don't want they don't want to be boxed into uh, um uh, pre-made decisions for uh, for them so what's the worst that will happen you know uh, let's see what what goes wrong and if you if you if i could detail my experiments then you would see that it started with a phone then with a bunch of laptops then with a, a lot of collected materials then now funded stuff which is more expensive i guess but from the very beginning all that we were doing was leave it open and see what people do and let's see how much damage there is and never did i see that the damage was uh more than the need for that experiment you know that never did i f- uh, find that uh if you let people um on their own devices and let them um uh, figure things out encourage them to ask for help but don't just you know uh, uh tell them what to do they were not making the mess that everybody expected them to make they were not uh, it was not going so bad and and uh, so far it has never uh, really happened people are actually ultra careful when they are being trusted when the when the trust is there they are feeling responsible the opposite of that when i see a lot of other spaces full of cameras and security and um, um and and uh, a lot more supervision um then there is no ownership then you al- always feel that you are a consumer of this place you are not an owner you are not a co-creator you are just there just like you are in a shop and you are not responsible for that space anymore because somebody is watching over you somebody is making sure so they must be in a higher position than you are right so in that case then the bigger problems start then people actually try very willfully to to um uh, to to get something to get the most out of that space and take it home because that space is not home right that space does not belong to them so we always tried and and, and we had a lot of people criticize this a lot of uh, folks telling us that uh, hey you need cameras you need security guards and you need well in the refugee camp where we were in uganda they said you need armed guards and <laughs> you need all sorts of things and the very reason that they were absent uh made it uh, a trustworthy space where people took responsibility it's sort of like the eisenberg's uncertainty principle you know the the velocity and position of the electron they both you know cannot be <laughs> like if you want trust supervision does not go very well with that at the same time so there has to be a, a way of starting with a position of trust and if things fail then they fail that's all right but if you don't start with that trust then they are bound to fail in my opinion I believe that absolutely Kath do you have any thoughts to that I mean you are such a great uh collaborator you bring in people with such great warmth and connection I mean Abhi has spoken from his experience I know Sandeep is building these PLCs that really empower teachers to feel happy happy teachers lead to happy students Kath what what have you seen in your experience that kind of ties and resonates with both of the experiences of these education leaders I'm relating to every single th- thing because every everything that you're saying is things that we've been dealing with 
you know, all, all the time. But, uh, you know, in where I am in, in, in my space, we have parents who are very worried about security because we're right next to where Sandy Hook happened. I don't know if you know when we had that gunman come in and shoot the children, the first graders. So we have parents who are very, very sensitive and they're really worried about first person shooter situations and like this is america and you know guns so because of the security and they don't want anyone to be able to come in and they don't want anyone they don't know around their children and all these sort of things and because we're dealing with a lot of young children you know we we aren't able to be as free and legally we can't and also if anything happens on the property i'm going to get sued <laughs> um very severely so i i can't do that to the non-profit so i i don't have the luxury of having that having that situation in fact we went from having 20 security cameras to having 40. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but uh, we found that it was such a time saver. Well, if anyone had it, like someone took my book or anything happened like that, we could see immediately on the security cameras and we could solve these issues super quickly because parents didn't believe that their child would take somebody's book, for example, but they see it on the camera and they're like, they can't deny that. So uh, it was a really great truth, truth-telling system um and then because of that no one would did anything bad to the equipment but that's not the right way to go about it i think your way of going about it is the right way but we we don't i can't think of a way that we can make that work legally over here in our in our building but um i think you're absolutely right about the responsibility element like i i feel like people I struggled nonstop with this whole transactional element of what I was doing versus this is your community, guys. <laughs> you know, what do you really want? And, uh, you know, and that it, they wanted to be community-minded, but the default is a transactional mindset, which is you have to really build that community. Um, and it's a lot of energy to get everyone talking all the time. And then also we had parents who didn't really want to, they, they didn't really want to do their ch children's education, but their children were so unhappy in school, but they didn't really want to do it. So they really wanted us to do it all the time. So it was always pushing it back on them and and those sort of things. But, you know, we did create a beautiful community, <laughs> uh, but the external energy it took, I don't think is sustainable. So what you're talking about is you want the community to be building itself without you. And, you know, we were experimenting with that now. I changed, I pulled out and I'm doing just the training piece and the community is self-organizing now. And I'm, uh, they really want the building, but they can't raise enough money to keep the building. So we've got a hacker space coming in, taking over the building, and they're gonna be letting the community community come in. So I'm, I'm just sort of watching it now, but they've got their own website and hopefully that they'll be able to keep going and build up. But I think you've got exactly the right approach. It's very Montessori for grownups. <laughs> uh, and I, um, I, comm I commend you. I think it's fantastic. And I I'd love to see some of these sites and be inspired by you and your work, your approach. That's that's really beautiful, Kath. And and there, are, there will always be certain obstacles that kind of get in the way of some of that authentic um, experiential learning that I know, Kath, you have existing there in Connecticut and in the virtual spaces that um, you're operating in Abi and Sandeep. Uh, Abi, I'm interested in now transitioning maybe a little bit to your future, but with some presence in today is like, I think as a listener, I would be interested in what does your day-to-day -day look like? What does the life of Abi uh, look like today? Well, uh, COVID had a nice way of messing that up, but otherwise it was, uh, so I think my well, uh, on one hand, now the organization is about 20 people, so it takes a bit of effort to uh, to keep things running as well. But at the same time, I still get to to actually go and create the new spaces as, uh, as well. So I try to split my year sort of half and half where I get to be in a community and set up the new spaces. But the other half, I get to work with the team and, and improve uh, what we are doing at a, at a larger level or from a bird's eye view. I, I'm... I'm I've always hated routine, cannot stick to something, uh, a repetitive thing uh, for more than three, four months. So that is a nice balance and that I get to keep that I can uh, really quickly change over. But even just working with the team or working with Defy is picking up problems to solve and, and, and uh, brainstorming over them, using the design process and, and trying to come up with uh, interesting solutions and piloting them. So even the organization sort of works like a nook or like a lab 
uh, <clears throat> even if we are not able to meet each other, which is the case right now, but we, we were able to work on several projects throughout the year that actually are growing and becoming other offerings from DeFi. So the nooks are growing as well. I was supposed to be in Zimbabwe by now, but the, there is a huge um, you know uh, explosion in the number of cases in uh, COVID and the country is sort of shutting down. So we have to delay it, but we have a couple of spaces coming up in Zimbabwe and Bangladesh. I have to visit again the our Rwandan space. But then there are other projects that we started so that we can create similar spaces inside universities and and break the the boundary of a university and its community and and mash them together and and help them work on very real things that are that are there just around them. You know the very real problems. Then we started working on something called Dispecs which mm. is how can you make communities become first responders in the situation of a of a disaster so that they themselves can uh, are are prepared not only prepared in terms of uh, you know how to get under a table in case an earthquake happens but uh, prepared more um, uh, long term that uh, you know they have alternative food sources and alternative electricity source and several other things so our our ultimate focus is always the same thing, empowering people to take care of their own lives and, and take more control in their own hands and not depend on, <clears throat> on outside help for coming uh, for everything or others defining their systems. Others are very useful and, and those that help is very much required. But if you're wholly dependent on that, which we saw in, in, in this case in, when the lockdowns happened in India, uh, people had to just wait for the government to do something, for the NGOs to do something. It was really hard for people to organize themselves. So, um, so yeah, several things are going on now. People are working in teams in different projects, and it's like um, our brains are, are processing faster than we can probably write. Um, and and many things will continue going into pilot modes and and uh, experimentation, just like MOOCs took a few years of experimenting. I mean, even now, we say that we've been experimenting till now to to see how is the best way to do this. And now we are entering into the next few years will be the first level of scale. We'll try to, well, I've not made it public yet, so I will not now as well, but uh, we have to, we, we are planning to do a very significant number of spaces um, sort of um, uh, in, in the next couple of years. Now that we have learned quite a bit from the, you know, from so far the 16, 17 spaces that we did create. So uh, that's, that's the next level for Nooks, but the other, projects will keep growing and and people at defy look at themselves as entrepreneurs um, and and try to take lead of everything so even the fundraising is distributed even uh, or the program design is distributed the execution is distributed everything is okay you want to do this do it <laughs> don't wait for you know what's what's the hang up you know go ahead and do it and see if you can raise some money if to to try it out so that's how uh, things are right now it's working from home is really not my thing <laughs> it's, mm. uh, I, I don't like it at all um i've always been more outgoing but i have been privileged enough to to not suffer like many others have so that I must say, and um, thankfully I was in a position to help. That's uh, an even even uh, more something that makes me happy that that we could help people through the situation. Uh, the places we work in are are severely marginalized. I mean, there were people being evicted from their homes uh, because they can't pay their ten dollar rent, and uh, um, they didn't have food, and lots, lots, and lots of problems. And uh, it was. A good time to also reorient and think okay what's the priority at what point solve that and then move to the next challenge i'm all uh, about that, authentic creative self-expression so this is obviously uh exactly where you're resonating and this is where you're having your impact and and, and i think that's exactly how it should be um how i'm working as well with the people we're working with but um i'd love you to come and talk to our um our founders because you're so inspiring and and we're so stuck in this country we're so stuck in in doing things with this structure that doesn't work. Um, and innovation is just so slow because, you know, we're just so limited by our own minds, I think. So um, I, I think you're just going to blow their minds. <laughs> I would love to do that. I mean, I, I, I'm starting to see that every country has something that they're stuck with. <laughs> and, uh, it's just a matter of looking and, and then you start finding the mud. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I've started. You know, in the in my earlier days, I think I felt this. Yeah, I'm gonna solve everything. You know, I 
I, that's what I was doing before DeFi. I was creating solutions after solutions. I used to go to hackathons and build stuff and build stuff from urinals to this ambulance mm -hmm. to apps, everything. And and it would never work out, you know, like I design it, build it, and then it wouldn't go that far. Ultimately, I've realized, I think that, um, you know, it's it's uh, the, the whole problem of this whole thing is is purely uh, in the mindset of whether you can do something or not. I mean, no, right, right, exactly. It's yeah. the power of man whether you can, these kids can manifest. That's the whole it's base true. of workspace is like, they've got an idea in their head. How can they get that out? and actually make the thing um and then after they've worked that out individually how can they do that in a group and then understand the power and collaborate as a group to do something huge you know that stretches and them I'll, I'll tell an interesting uh, one way when we when we had just started the lockdowns which was end of february and the beginning of march and then i think one month later i was speaking somewhere on online and somebody asked that so aren't you worried what the kids are how your kids who come to the new how are they getting educated and it like hit me i'm like oh i didn't think of that <laughs> because well we were not thinking of that we were thinking of how we can support in terms of all the urgent needs that they have and so then we started talking to many of the kids in india and other places where we have our nooks and we started asking so what's been going on and uh, they said, no, everything is fine. Uh, I've been building stuff at home. I've been doing this. I'm even, uh, some kids were making masks for the rest of the village. There was another group of uh, learners from our Punjab space. They were feeding animals and, and uh, getting medicines to people. Like they, they, they said, what do you mean education has stopped? <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, and, and the whole rest of the world was worried. Oh my God, how are we, the schools have stopped. What are the kids going to do? What, how are they going to get that education that they're supposed to get? Are they missing out on a year of education and uh, learning? But they were probably missing out because they are made to depend so much on, on uh, right. this one right. schooling structure. If it stops working the way it does work, then people start feeling like, oh, the shop is closed now and we can't buy education anymore. Uh, so that uh, that was a pretty interesting realization I felt in the um, one of the good learnings from this from this. Yeah. yeah. Sandeep, I, I want to respect and honor um, uh, your time. I know that you are very much also in alignment with Abby's point and Kat's point. And, you know, our work in education is to be responsive and to be proactive in our approaches. And Abby has mentioned, like, this time has been a challenge for many of us and the privilege that we have and our capacity as leaders. But it's also enriching and empowering others to feel like they can respond to the times in which we're living. And so I've seen you do that, Sandeep, as well, and the communications that you have with the many leaders that you work with, um, being a part of that channeling and that messaging. Do you, uh, what resonates with you with, with what Abby brought up and even what Kath is, is talking about in terms of uh, her connections to um, distributing this, this sense of your own ownership and learning and responding to the times? Yeah, there are two very unique things I want to share here. One, our learning is not constrained with equipment. Now, when I talk of makerspace and when I talk of project-based learning, which I'm hearing from the lovely people here, uh, for us, we require no equipment. And whatever learning we do emphasizes more on human values and trust. That's exactly why I brought up that element of trust. Because we feel that Till the personality of the person is not truly defined, you can't actually do experiential or project-based learning. So how do you really create the personality of a person? That comes to the second part. Now, it really creates, you know, like you correctly said, that the people around you make you, as simple as that. So we work on this concept, the people around you make you. So how do we have that influence of your peers, your mentors, stakeholders on your development? And if you look at the way a child grows up, what matters in the child's life is the first relationship in the first five years or maximum till 10 years of life. So we are very concerned about that. And perhaps this was the best time in the world for us where we could think of relationships, one. Second, where we spend time with children growing up. I think this was the biggest uh, plus of this last one year. And yes, like Abhi so beautifully said, you perhaps don't need a school to learn. No, you don't. School is you optional. You don't need a school at all. <laughs> Absolutely. And unlike you people where you are, constra you are constrained with space, uh, the typical example which we gave the world was we actually worked on a piece of land. We didn't sort of even think we needed a roof over it. So the place, the 
what really brought the change maker school of ours to the world is we have this arid piece of land which was picked up about 30 years back and we just grew a forest in it we said okay this is where children will grow up as simple as that so it it quite works like the finish way where kids spend most of the day in the forest in the morning when they are young and in the minus 10 20 degree temperature you know you have little children who are playing in the forest i actually went and saw it last winter mm. so we work with that philosophy that learning happens with nature learning happens from nature and learning happens by nature that's our approach mm-hmm. and we are really not constrained ourselves with actually wanting them to explore skills but we want them to get the life of value the life of trust life of compassion life of feeling and life of actually learning to live with each other that's been our focus in our way of approach and like you said that you know even in today's date i currently work with 3 to 400 people i communicate with every day absolutely mm. and these are all teachers we you know the good part in the, this learning space is that i'm using the word space for lack of anything else i would say in the learning ecosystem the beautiful part of the learning ecosystem is the world is one Mm-hmm. there's no difference between urban and rural there's no difference between haves and have nots in the learning space the world is one this mm-hmm. quest to learn is being human and for us the focus is being human first and then using that to build material tangible ideas mm-hmm. that's my approach uh i love i love that notion and it seems like we are absolutely on the same page there abi i wanted to end our conversation today um with some fun rapid uh a round of questions i'll just ask you to think about the the first thing that comes to mind um and then sandeep i will also include you in this and kath as well um abi if you had to answer the one word question of why what is your response why not i love it sandeep um you're looking to bring on a new board member or staff member or someone you want to really collaborate with if you could have coffee with him anyone to bring them in Who would it be? Cat from the show. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um Cat, um what is your priority for the next week? Oh goodness, to stop meditating more. <laughs> I love it. I need to do that as well. Abi, um what is your top priority for your next week? To breathe. To breathe. And Sandeep, same question to you. What next? What next? What next? Um this is a this is a question for uh Abi. Um when Barack Obama was a community organizer, he would end engagements with others with the question, "Can you quickly for me describe your world world as it is and how you'd like it to be?" Can you answer that for us? Um I'd describe the world as it is right now as a world that um overall makes people feel that they are uh, an insignificant cog in a large machine mm. and i'd like that to not happen that people are very significant even as individuals and they can do and make significant changes to it and they don't have to uh, be thought of as uh, yeah specks of dust i love that sandeep last question to you if you could have a conversation with a much older version of yourself and you've had a successful life and now you want to shed some wisdom what would you ask that older version of yourself just keep looking up at the sky mm i love that and kath the last question uh for you uh what small action t- can you take this week towards achieving the goals that you've kind of highlighted for us today um i i'm going to revise peter blocks book on community the structure of belonging because abby has inspired me to to go back to the my community roots and and uh, make that a priority in our training that's coming up for the next 2 months. Awesome. Abi uh Sandeep Kath uh, our student interns Jack and Zan. I want to thank you all for your time today. Um any final thoughts before we before we sign up for to fi- sign off for today? Well, um the only thing I would end with is whether you um like our work or don't like it or whether you agree with it or don't agree with it try something you know um, my idea may not be the best one but there is a lack of a lot of different ideas so 
Um, and even if uh, that is the case, even if we disagree a lot, that doesn't mean that we would not be amenable to help um, and listen. So uh, please talk to us if it's if it's something that is possible. I love that. Sandeep, any final thoughts from you? Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Uh, Kath, don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you'd like to take the last bit of time for any final thoughts. Well, I'm just very grateful to get your perspective. Um, you know, I think there should be, you know, a lot of work, uh, a lot more work in this vein, um, you know, across the globe, because we need to get all voices heard, all voices from the margin and margins heard and to create communities, a beautiful network of these kinds of communities across the world. So we can all, we can all, you know, discover who we are and, and fully and creatively express ourselves just like Abby's doing in his work and so exciting to meet people who are doing that because they're so, <laughs> so lit up and so motivated and excited about what they want to be doing and, and they know the deep sense of knowing about what is right and what is their truth and I, I love to see that. So thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. All right, y'all, that's it for today's podcast in a revolution in education. I'm Jim McHugh. Um, thank you so much to Abby and Sandeep and Kath and our student interns as well, uh, Zan and Jack. Thank you all. everybody. This is Sandeep Dathya from the Learning Forward India Foundation, who is committed to hashtag happy teachers. The story begins with the commitment of everyone deciding to become a good teacher. The future of school education is totally dependent on good teachers. And for us at the society level, at large, at the community level, and even at the government level, till we don't understand that if teachers are not happy, they cannot be a transformation. We at the Learning Forward India Foundation are committed to help every teacher find herself or himself, to help every teacher to enhance their skills and capabilities, and to help every teacher to build my good school. In Hindi, we all feel Mera Acha School. Why the My Good School? My Good School works for the personal and social development of every individual. And this is possible when with teachers as the epicenter, we build relationships between teachers and students, teachers and parents, teachers and teachers, and teachers and management. When all these stakeholders' relationships are strengthened, we create the ecosystem for happy teachers. We love them, we appreciate them, and we let them lead. On my podcast, beginning today, the 31st of March, 2020, I'll take you to a journey of my good school and help you understand what happy teachers want, what you can do, and what is very much achievable. Thank you. Have a happy day.